I hope that you get a chance to walk up and read the living wall of African-American sisters and brothers and siblings and familia because just reading the little lines just makes me excited in my soul that we are surrounded by a great, great cloud of witnesses in our families. And just here alone, we have collective of voices that have resisted, that have fought for joy, that have fought for justice, just right here from our familia and our connections. And I'm very excited to get to the other side of the wall here. So, buenas tardes, familia. Thank you. We are nearing the end of our sermon series called Rhythms of Justice, where we have been leaning into the practices that sustain the work of justice in our lives. And if you all remember, uh, last month I started with the first practice of joy uh, on Epiphany Sunday to consider it as a rhythm of justice, that we need to let joy lead the way in the work of justice because sometimes that's the first thing to go. And I forgot to tell the middle school and high schoolers to go with Mindy and Josh. Yay! Everybody clap because I made a mistake and I forgot. <laughs> so middle schoolers and high schoolers are stepping into the life, love, and justice of Jesus and thank God for our leaders who are embodying and teaching our, our uh, church, younger church familia about that. All right. So uh, we started this series with joy and the Lord led me today to return to joy, to return to joy. So I hope that is a word that you need today because it's the word that the Lord deposited in my heart the past two weeks. And so today we're going to be looking at joy again. And with the words of Paul who says, rejoice in the Lord always again, go back to joy. So that's where we're going to be today in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. You can open your Bibles or Bible apps or just follow with your eyes on the screen behind me. Now, next week, you don't want to miss next week. Mother Glendar is going to bring a word. Yes, going to bring a word. And so you don't want to miss next week. She's going to be finishing the Rhythms of Justice sermon series. Hallelujah. And it's been a story that she doesn't have to go study. It's a story that she has lived her entire life. Amen. So you don't want to miss next week. So let us go to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. This is what our brother Paul and Timothy say together to us today. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry or do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Paul is writing to his beloved community back in Philippi. And if you remember, this is a community that was born by the river. If you remember in the book of Acts, Paul had a vision of a man that said, come to Macedonia, we need your help, come to Macedonia. And so Paul and Silas embark on a journey. Three times the Holy Spirit redirects their, their journey there. They don't go to the places where they think they're supposed to go. And the Holy Spirit takes them to Philippi in a holy redirection. When God changes the course of your life, that can be holy too. 
They get to Philippi, they find no such man. Where is the man from the dream? They find no such man, and they don't find the synagogue. In order for there to be a synagogue in a town, there needed to be 10 righteous, upstanding Jewish men in order to stand, to start a synagogue and open up a synagogue in the town. But the spirit who works outside of the synagogues and the spirit who works outside of the gates gathers a group of women by the river. And a group of women by the river led by Lydia, the first house church leader in Asia, the first house church leader in this town, they are praying and they are praising. While they're praising, they go ahead and pray. That's what the community started doing in light of the fact that there was no synagogue. No synagogue, Lydia said, no problem. We have a river. Lydia opens up her heart. Yes. Was that you, Shirley? Come on now. <laughs> Lydia opens up her heart to Jesus and her home to Paul and her possessions to the work of the kingdom. And in that moment, she becomes not just a house church leader, but she is bankrolling the ministry of Paul and Silas. Much like the female disciples of Jesus were always bankrolling his ministry too. The Philippian church then, the Philippian church that's grounded in this letter, we must not forget, becomes the strongest supporter of Paul's ministry. They send then a love offering to Paul during this time. They send a love offering and they send a friend to Rome because uh, Paul is under house arrest in Rome. And so Epaphroditus walked seven weeks. Somebody say seven weeks. Seven weeks. Girl, find you a friend that will walk seven weeks to come see you when you're in trouble. Find you a friend, bless you, to come be with you when you are in need. And so Epaphroditus walks seven weeks from Philippi to Rome to come encourage Paul to be both presence and provision, a love offering. And they are the beloved community back at home in Philippi that Paul is penning this letter to saying, thank you. This is the longest thank you uh, letter to send back home. He is imprisoned in Rome. And this is where we get the man that dares to invite us, dares to command us to say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Because at first when I read this, I say, Paul, 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 come on now. What do you mean rejoice? This, this command at first kind of bothers me but until I remember the man who wrote it and from where he is writing it. This is a man whose prison didn't keep him from praising and didn't keep him from praying, not dismissing it, but how does he do it? So let's look in at how he says to rejoice in the Lord always. He is inviting us to rejoice in spite of what he is going through. Paul is chained, shackled. His leg is shackled to a Roman guard. And every eight hours, the Roman guard changes. So he's always connected to somebody by shackles. And every eight hours, the Roman guard changes. And it is in that condition that he is writing this letter to his friends and familia in Philippi. 
So as the Spirit was leading me back to return to joy and leading me back to this letter and leading me back to this prison, uh, which reminds me of Dr. King's letter from Birmingham jail and leading me back to this struggle and leading me back to not just personal struggles, but also communal struggles that we find ourselves, the Spirit said, I'm inviting you into joy again. And I am uh, inviting you into rewilding of the rewilding of joy. Now, I don't know if there's any farmers here or people who love plants. Stacia, I'm looking at you. You might know what I'm about to say, but I've been really curious about the word rewilding. Some of you may know more about it than I do, but this has been something new that I've been uh, reading about in the past two or three years. Rewilding is an ecological term in conservation to protect and restore natural processes in the environment, and natural wilderness areas. There's different kinds of rewilding. For example, it's like reintroducing an animal like a wolf into a community where there are no wolves left. It is reintroducing an animal species that's in danger of extinction, right? Or an apex predator back to an area to restore eco-balance. It's also when it comes to plants and shrubs and trees, and trees, it's reintroducing native plants or flowers into a desert area. It's an active form of restoration that requires human intervention to create a healthy ecosystem. And the Spirit said, I'm inviting you to rewild joy into your life. I'm inviting you to rewild and put seeds back of something that has been stolen maybe from you. Because you're going to need the joy in order to do the work of justice. You're going to need joy in order to sustain the work of justice. And re-entering re joy into our lives is an active form of spiritual formation. I often go to Arlington Gardens here in South Pasadena. They have a prayer labyrinth and they have a natural community-led um, community garden. And so often when I go, I see uh, women and men just working on the flowers. And there is one sign, particularly in this just wild flowers everywhere, this particular corner of Arlington Gardens that says, rewilding wildflowers. And I don't know if you paid attention, but there's other parts of the city where you will see this wooden sign that says, rewilding flowers. And what they do is they, they will return native plants to a region and encourage seeds, the seeding of these plants all over the city to bring back wildflowers and bees into the ecosystem. When Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, rewilding became an invitation to me to be a spiritual practice in our human souls and bodies to rewild joy as an act of joy, justice, to reintroduce to our soul's ecosystem practices that bring us joy. And I don't want you to underestimate the seeds of rejoicing that are found in the following verses. So the rejoicing is not separated from the other words that are going to come. These other words, I believe, are seeds that are connected. Rejoicing doesn't dismiss suffering. Paul is not dismissing his conditions. 
He is imprisoned. He is afraid. He doesn't know if he's going to lose his life. Rejoicing doesn't dismiss suffering, but and, not but, and, and suffering doesn't have to underestimate the seeds of joy in your rewilding. This is why I say we need the poets and the artists and the creatives in our church to help us reimagine worship and reimagine healing and reimagine a new way forward, especially in these tense conversations like suffering. Suffering doesn't have to underestimate the seeds of joy in your rewilding. They may not bear fruit yet. They may not bloom flowers yet. Those seeds may not produce pollen for the bees yet. They may not become a bouquet yet, but those seeds of joy, be attentive to them, tend to them, water them, make room in the dirt, dig your hands in there, get dirty to fight for that joy. Find poetry that opens up your heart and cracks open your imagination to dig deep into that joy. Dig deep. Paul says, rejoice and the Lord is near. Rejoice and do not be anxious. Rejoice and pray and petition. Rejoice and give thanks. Not rejoice and everything will be fine and everything will be great or all your, tr all your troubles will go away. It's rejoice and. That and is very important in the rewilding of joy. Rejoice and the peace of God will be with you. These are stepping stones towards the peace of God. And they don't all have to happen at once. As I was thinking about um, the challenges to rejoicing in this passage, in this letter, in Paul's life, in my life, the tension of rejoicing is the tension of reality, right? Our very present reality. I don't even want to pretend to know what you bring into this room this evening. The tension of your reality, I know already we were praying for Ms. Glendar this, this evening when you just came up. The tension of pain is a reality. The tension of rejoicing is when we sense two things in the next few verses that I want to unpack a little bit. The absence of God or the perceived absence of God and the presence of anxiety. The absence of God and the presence of anxiety are tension that we hold with rejoicing. Verse five, Paul says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near for power-filled and faith-filled words. Where does Paul say that God is in his imprisonment? This is a real question. Where does Paul say that the Lord is? Near. The Lord is near and the Lord is here. Paul is literally shackled to a Roman soldier, remember? Shackled to a Roman soldier every hour as they change shifts. His situation is unchanging, though. He cannot get away from his present circumstances. And yet, God is a very present help in times of trial and troubles. And he goes on to say another scandalous command right there in verse 6. Oh, and do not worry. Do not worry about anything. I want to sit with the Lord is near for a minute. The Lord is near. The opposite or the challenge of the Lord is near for me in my life, the way that I've reframed what, um, 
What the opposite of the Lord is near is, is the, is the God who abandons. And let me tell you where that comes from in my story. I don't know if it comes from uh, that way in your story, and I don't even know why I'm sharing all of this tonight, except that the Lord said, say it. The opposite of the Lord is near is that God abandons. The God who abandons because of my trauma and losing my mother in an airplane accident when I was young, 11, I believed and bowed down to, worshiped. I believed and bowed down to the God who abandons. Stay with me. I had attributed abandonment as a character trait of God. Because my trauma had distorted my image of God, which in turn, in turn distorted my image of me, my image of myself. I had physical and emotional and spiritual attachments to the God who abandons. And I had covered it up really well because church is a great place to hide. And I was a preacher's daughter the pastor's kid, and nobody knew the fear of a God who I thought had abandoned me on that day. The Lord is near, and God abandons. I felt that tear me up on the inside, and I didn't have any mode of coping when I was a young girl. As I'm growing up and going to therapy, and even in seminary, I was still leaning into the tension of the Lord is near in the times when I don't feel that God is near. See, because I had loved that God who abandons. And I still remember, praise be, thank God for Dr. Dale Ryan at, at um, Florida Seminary. I was taking a class on pastoral care and abuse. And I remember the day that he said, um, you need to break up with that God. You need to break up with that God. You need to fire that God. He said another word then, but you need to fire that God. He said, you need to throw out that baby with the bathwater because there is no baby in that bathwater. You need to fire that God. That's, that's broken theology. That's, that's toxic theology. And here I was still unpacking this God who abandons. I had believed not only that God abandoned, but that God was not good. And God was not near. And God was not going to come through. I had bowed down to a God not only who neglected me, worse, I believed that I deserved that neglect. Yes, my Lord, Ms. Gundar. I, I believed because I, trauma had distorted my sense of self. I believed that I deserved neglect and that my needs didn't deserve to be taken care of. Through community, through therapy, through prayer, through the loving presence of a grandmother who prayed for me, through the loving presence of aunts who were there for me, I could say with Paul that I moved away from a God who abandons to say, the Lord is near and the Lord is here. And he is both with me, but also in me. And the Lord is here. That was my challenge to the Lord is near. I don't know what yours is. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's that you felt like you have abandoned God and that you have to walk away from God. But let me tell you something. You can't run away too far. In fact, the moment 
that you feel like you have left God is the moment that you are closest to God. In that thin moment that you go, oh, I think I have departed, that's when you're closest to him because you realize that you have departed. And we have a God who says, I am near. I am here. I'm chasing after you with an undying love. Somebody say, the Lord is near. And the Lord is here. Dios está aquí. As real as Epaphroditus was there with Paul, the Lord is near you and with you and in you and for you and will not abandon you. Even when our uh, bodies feel a sense of abandonment, let me have hope on your behalf when you can't have hope on your behalf. That is okay. And then verse 6 gives us another challenge, the anxiety, not just the absence of God because of the ways that our views of God and our views of self have been distorted, absence of God, but now do not be anxious. Paul, as soon as you say do not be anxious, do not be anxious, I get anxious, Paul. I get anxious. If you tell me not to worry, I start worrying. I start worrying. <laughs> I, I grew up, because of my trauma, always worried about something, not realizing that, why am I always worried about something? Why am I always expecting that the worst is going to happen? And Rob told me, my husband, a few years ago, well, because the worst has happened to you, Ines. That's why you would expect the worst to happen. Do not be anxious. Paul, as soon as you say that, I'm anxious. Do not be anxious. Just because you tell me not to be, does, I don't automatically stop being anxious. And again, I don't want to pretend this evening that I know what you brought into this place. You have a lot of things that you're holding that are making you anxious. We have all different sources that trigger anxiety in, in our lives. And all those sources are valid. I want to validate your anxiety today. Even though it says do not be anxious, it's still validating anxiety. You see what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit is saying, I see that there are reasons for you to be anxious. Because who needs to hear do not be anxious? The person that is anxious. The person that is anxious. And some of you know that I have been struggling with anxiety for the past few uh, couple of years. I think that have been exacerbated by, by the pandemic. One definition of anxiety, I'm not a therapist by the way, and this is not a therapy session. But one definition of anxiety, I ask my friends who do know. Anxiety is the experience of intense and persistent worry and fear that manifests itself in mental, emotional, and physical forms. An overwhelming reaction that is higher than the triggers would elicit. Take a deep breath. A medical journal describes also anxiety as normal, as a normal and healthy emotions, but that it can reach to disproportionate levels and result in a medical condition. Do not be anxious, Paul says. He says it in a tone that understands anxiety. Jesus says it in a tone that is well acquainted with your grief. It's not dismissive of your anxiety. It's not dismissive of the causes of your anxiety. Anxiety is complex. There is not just one kind. Some of us may need medication. Some of us may need therapy. Some of us need to reorder our lives per my therapist. Says I need to reorder my life. Oh, and all the therapists, yes. Oh, I'm not making fun of you. I'm with you and you are with me. 
Anxiety has felt like a wilderness in my life. And yet the Spirit is inviting me in this wilderness to rewild joy in spite of my anxiety. Praise be to God. Some of us have gone through the past few years or a lifetime a wilderness of disease, a wilderness of grief, a wilderness of loss, a wilderness of job or food insecurity, a wilderness of uncertainty right now, a wilderness of change or our fear of change, the pain of broken relationships, pain of addiction, pain of tragedy, and then we turn on the news and we see the evils of racism and the evils of sexism and the evils of homophobia and mass incarceration that disproportionately affect black and brown communities. We see the evils of inhumane treatment of immigrants, evils of hate crimes against our AAPI familia. No wonder we have anxiety in our bodies. The tragedies of devastating earthquakes just recently in, in Syria and Turkey, I had to stop scrolling through the news because it was giving me so much anxiety. I just wanted to go pick up all the babies and bring them home to me. We live in times of a very present anxiety inducing, inducing darkness, personal and public. And whatever the source of your anxiety, Paul is not dismissing you. Paul is not dismissing you. Paul is not dismissing us. More importantly, Jesus is not dismissing us. Because Paul is but a man, but Jesus, who also was a man, and well acquainted with our grief, does not dismiss the anxiety or deny it. But it is a defiant act to say, do not be anxious. In my own life, yes, uh, anxiety has fractured me and fragmented me, uh, torn, torn me into pieces of myself. Um, but Jesus is not threatened by our anxiety. I want you to know that today before you leave this room. That Jesus is not even threatened by our full range of emotions about the things that cause us anxiety. Jesus is not anxious about our anxiety. And anxiety does not indicate the absence of God. This is very important to me. Because sometimes we have... Uh, been in places where there's toxic theology that say that we don't have enough faith and this is why we struggle with anxiety or that we don't have enough a strong prayer life and this is why we struggle with anxiety but anxiety does not indicate the absence of God anxiety is a doorway by which the Holy Spirit rushes in to come and cover you with her peace God's nearness is part of God's goodness in any and every situation. Paul says, rejoice and the Lord is near. Rejoice and don't be anxious. Rejoice and pray and supplicate. Rejoice and give thanks. Rejoice and again present your requests to God. So he's not saying rejoice and everything stops. Rejoice and come back over and over and over again. There are things that I'm doing right now to, to reduce my anxiety that include listening to my body, it include going to counseling, it includes sometimes uh, I'm noticing I've been overstimulated by noise and I'm listening to that. I'm doing steps to self-care and soul care and all the things that I can. I'm still learning this path between verse 6 to verse 7. Make your requests known to God. 
Anxiety has also, has actually brought me nearer to God. Anxiety has been the door that has brought me nearer to God and, and has allowed me to walk towards a path of peace. So we go from joy in verse four to peace and it is a mighty road, you guys. It is a mighty road and God is with you in that road. Jesus is with you on that road and the peace of God, which surpasses all of your present circumstances will guard your hearts and your minds where sometimes my anxiety begins right here in Christ Jesus, the one that is well acquainted with your grief. So this pathway from verse four to verse seven is a pathway of joy and a pathway towards peace. And it's got a rhythm of praying and petitioning and thanksgiving and praying and petitioning and thanksgiving, carving a path to peace and allowing the God of peace to surround us and be present and the peace of God to be with us and for us. The peace of God will guard you, Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. I love that in that line right there, God is saying, I'm providing you, I'm giving you provision of peace, and I'm providing you the person that gives you peace, and that is God, and that is in Christ Jesus. God's presence brings peace, and God's presence is our peace. God's peace is a peace that protects our hearts and our minds in spite of anxiety, in spite of sometimes feeling or sensing the absence of God. That is okay. Paul is not denying our present troubles. He knows how vulnerable and fragile we can be. He is in a vulnerable and, and fragile situation with an anxious heart. And yet Paul is inviting us to rejoice, not once, but twice in this passage, and even more in the rest of this little epistle. Paul is inviting us to not dismiss joy in the midst of suffering. The wild and wise Holy Spirit that we love, that co-creates things with us, is the one that knows that there are dormant seeds of joy in your souls. And I have a picture up here that uh, Janet sent to me today. Janet was on the hike yesterday with me, and today she told me, I'm not going to be at church because we're going to, I'm not sure if it's Antelope Valley, to look at the super bloom. To look at the super bloom. And so I said, can you send me pictures when you get there? And this is like a real life super bloom because apparently 2023, we have a super bloom happening in California. And this is one of the pictures that she sent. Look at that beauty and look at that joy and look at those colors and look at a place that had been without anything for a while, but there were seeds under the earth that were just waiting for the rains to come. The wild and wise Holy Spirit is the one that knows that there are seeds of joy and is inviting us to plant seeds of joy. Do not dismiss the small seeds because they don't look like this just yet. Don't dismiss the small seeds because they are small or because they're just slivers. Because in time, there will be a super bloom. But in time, on, on our, between verse 4 and verse 7, it might be a long time. But surround yourself with people that will remind you, that will pray for you, that will be with you like Epaphroditus, that will walk with you, 
that will say to you, you know, can I have hope on your behalf? You may feel hopeless right now, but can I have hope on your behalf? Because I know you don't feel it right now. The Lord is near and the Lord is here, beloved. So I was thinking about the things that would encourage us to reweld our joy and encourage us to count the seeds of joy and encourage us to look for the slivers of light that come through windows that remind us of joy. And I'm going to ask you to shout them out in a little bit, but while you think, I'm going to share with you a few of the things that have brought me great joy just the past two weeks, just the past two weeks. I like for us to lean into this idea of rewilding into joy. Most of the time is nothing like huge or sensational. It might be just paying attention to the ordinary, to the ordinary holiness in our lives. So the past two weeks, um, things that have brought me joy, salsa dancing with our church small group. Yes, we are in a small, or I'm in a small group uh, called Shameless and it's deconstructing purity culture, and we went salsa dancing because we're reclaiming our bodies and reclaiming that our bodies are good, that God made them good, and we went salsa dancing, was it last weekend? Yeah, feels like forever ago, right? <laughs> and it was so much fun. It was so much fun. So Jennifer was there, Melika, Noemi, I got to dance, we took some dance lessons. That brought me a lot of joy. And if we carry trauma in our lives and in our bodies, our bodies keep the score, I believe that dancing is also going to help us to heal and get that worked out through our bodies as well. Another thing that brought me joy was a church hike yesterday. The church hike yesterday to this rocky cove that Jennifer and Serena took us to. It was so much fun. I had never been to a beach that was full of rocks and there was like no sand. No sand, just, just rocks. Um, and one of the things that brought me joy, and I asked Elias for permission to share this story, um, was slipping and falling on the rocks because the rocks were constantly in motion. The water would come and move them and you just never knew where you could put your foot. And, and, I, and I slipped and I fell and I was like, oh, and Elias was like, he told me in Spanish, you were just trying to tie your shoe. Like, thank you. He was so kind <laughs> to not make fun of me, me uh, falling on, on my butt. Um, little things like that. I was listening to Amelie, uh, Elias's and Mindy's daughter, Amelie. We got to the tide pools eventually, and I think she had taken her shoes off, right? And she was putting her feet in the water. And I was walking with Janet, and Amelie said, the water is really cold. And I was like, I agree. The water is really cold. And Janet, who is a teacher, said, it's the perfect temperature for our fish friends. That's how you know that you were a teacher. You could just like roll that out so poetically. It's the perfect temperature for our fish friends. And I was like, but Amelie and I believe that the water is cold, okay? <laughs> and it's making me uncomfortable. But here was Janet thinking about the comfort of the neighbors <laughs> and the fish that need these conditions in order to thrive, which reminded me, who cares if sometimes I'm uncomfortable? It might be someone else's joy in order to thrive. And those little things, those little voices and stories, I was trying to pay attention with my body at our hike, they were rewilding joy in me. And uh, Jen didn't even know that she did that. Um, walking through, picking up rocks. Wait, no way to pick up rocks. You're not supposed to take any rocks. <laughs> I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> 
lunch. Let's talk about lunch. Lunch was wonderful. It was spontaneous lunch afterwards. Um, that brought me that brought me joy. I received flowers from a friend uh, a couple of weeks ago. That brought me joy. A handwritten note from my co-pastor. That brought me joy. It, we don't write notes to each other anymore. And like anytime anybody writes something, I, I like keep them all. So I have a box and Rob's like, when are you gonna throw them away? I said, never. So um, I officiated a funeral here in this room on Friday for, for someone and Serena and Jeremy were here helping me out in their calm demeanor helped me to remain calm on a day that could have been just full of anxiety because of all the little details. Just paying attention to your body and paying attention to the people around you and paying attention to something as small as a child speaking or the cold water in the tide pool. Familia, I invite you to rewild joy. I invite you to rewild joy and to imagine how expansive and imaginative and healing and joyful it can be to rewild joy into the landscape of your soul and the landscape of your life, both personally and communally. So I'm going to finish off by inviting you, you all to share with me what are some things that have brought you joy or that brought you joy today, this week, this month, this year, just say it out loud and I'll, and I'll repeat it for our online community who is listening. Some things that have brought you joy. You met Ruby Bridges this week. Woo! That is fun, yes. That's rewilding communal joy, ancestral joy. I love that. Thank you, who else? What's something that brings you joy, that has brought you joy? The rain, yes, especially for those of us here in California, we need the rain. Your daughter shared her graduation pictures with you today. What a joy. It's not just the pictures, a whole journey. Journey to graduation, yes. What else? Thank you, Shirley. Becca. Yes, so Becca just moved into a new house and she went thrifting and found seven buck poppy uh, pictures of that brought her joy and just the ordinary holiness of putting things together and making a home a home, a house a home. I love that. What else? What else is bringing you joy or has brought you joy? Playing tennis with your husband. That is awesome. What else? I love that, having a yard sale, getting to meet neighbors, and learning the history of your neighborhood. That's good, connections, living connections. That is awesome. Yes? That is awesome. You said one daughter or several daughters? 
two daughters who sing at home and when, when friends come or guests come, they say, you are so lucky that they're singing and they attune your ear and your heart to the things that maybe you're numb to, you said. I'm trying to repeat correctly what you said. Okay, I love that. I love that, inviting you into joy, rewilding joy. Okay, one more, a couple more. What is bringing you joy? Yes, Stacia. A friend is going through a divorce, and you all got together to give a group gift, and her favorite artist yeah. did a cameo, and she's been watching that video every day, and it's bringing her joy in the midst of a difficult time. Thank you. I love that. Tammy, were you raising your hand back there? Yes. through someone's stories, through someone's presence. God, open our eyes and um, help us be attentive in body and in spirit to the things that bring us joy and to not underestimate it in the work of justice. And I pray all these things in your name. 